0: Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Take your Bibles and open to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John will be at the end of chapter 2 today in verses 23-23. twenty-five, John 2, 23-25. I'm in a series entitled, Love, Good News to Believe in Jesus and Receive Eternal Life. And today we come to the end of chapter 2, and what I believe John is going to do for us today is to hit a pause button on the instruction for just a moment, so he can bring to light a very clear application of Of what he has already taught us. And that's what I want to see. Today's message is entitled. True belief. True belief. Let me go and read from John chapter 2. Verses 23 to 25 for us. And then we'll continue. Now when he was in Jerusalem. At the Passover feast. Many believed in his name. When they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding and the obeying of his word today. John introduces Jesus' public ministry in this way in chapter 2. He starts with the wedding at Cana where Jesus performs the miracle of turning water into wine. And then, but a few days later, we're told, and we're not exactly sure chronologically if it were only a few days later if it were much later a couple of years later but it doesn't really matter because the way that John marries the second story to the first tells us what he's accomplishing by putting these two stories together and the second story tells us that they were in Jerusalem at the temple and it was Passover the biggest annual feast of the year or festival excuse me and at Passover, Jesus went into the temple and cleaned house. It says he turned over the tables, he scattered the money, he drove the animals out, he drove uh, uh, the people out who were doing the selling. And then the religious leaders confronted him and said, by what authority do you do this? And so John tells us this, that, that Jesus in turning water into wine shows us that he is the glorious one who is greater than all others and he lasts far beyond any others. But when he cleanses the temple, we see by the confrontation that he has with the religious leaders that Jesus alone crushes the fallacy and the deceit of false worship to bring real communion with God. That's the whole reason that he cleansed the temple. You see, many people in these two instances believed in Jesus. And John says, because they saw the signs... But let's be honest about something that we know. A bandwagon that carries new fans after a big win is always bloated and overloaded, right? Oh, yeah. Especially by those who've been long-term fans. They're like, we used to have more room, and now all of you want a piece of this glory, right? I could mention the Cubs right now, but I won't. Just because one exerts their will or says that they believe in Jesus doesn't mean they have saving faith. A right decision does not make a Christian. A person becomes a Christian when they believe in Jesus and receive eternal life. what John's doing for us here is he is providing a clear delineation remember what he tells us at the end of his writing chapter 20 and verse 31 I write that you might believe and receive eternal life and so in our understanding having already been able to read the end of the book we need to understand from the very beginning why John is presenting to us what he says to us. And he's giving us these three verses of application so that we can take a moment to reflect on what he has taught us from the water turning to wine and also from the temple being cleansed and ask, are either of these true You see, many people claim to believe, but they remain distracted by the inebriation of entertainment. That's what we saw at the wedding in Cana. Or shrouded by the deceit of religiosity. That's what we saw in the temple. But he tells us this, that Jesus knows the heart of man and does not entrust himself to those who don't truly believe. Jesus entrusts himself to those who have true belief. You see, belief in Jesus, because of what you've seen him do, it may be real, but that doesn't mean it will necessarily last when times get hard. You will only trust Jesus to follow him in hard times when you know him. And the nature of our belief Must never rest in what he will do, but rather in who he is, and that what he has done for us shows us what he wants to do in us. That's where the seat of our belief in Jesus must rest. And so, trust that anchors in Jesus' character and nature clings to him at all times. And this is the key, friends. This is the key to true belief. True belief believes in the person of Jesus as the Christ of God. And that term Christ, as we've talked about, is the title for Jesus. It's not his last name. If you just start reading the Bible and you see the terms Jesus Christ, you think, oh, that must be his first name and his last name, right? No, the word Christ is his title. And it tells us that he is the fulfillment of God's promised Messiah throughout the Old Testament. And so the Lord that he is, he sits over and lords and rules and reigns today. Jesus, he's the person who came from God. Christ, he's the fulfillment of God's promise. In whom is the salvation that God has planned for all people that believe in him. And so Jesus always entrusts himself to those who truly believe in him. And this is what I want us to grab hold of today. Really, I want us to have been grabbed hold of by this, if I could say it that way. Jesus entrusts himself to those who truly believe in him as Christ the Lord He entrusts himself to those who truly believe in him as Christ the Lord. And I believe in these few short verses, John provides for us four characteristics by which we can identify and understand true belief. Listen. I don't know where you are in your walk with God. Today may be the first time you've ever done any kind of seeking after Him. Or you may have been walking with God every day that you can remember in your life. But here's what I want you to know. God never wants you to live in doubt or to be confused about who He is and about what He's done for you. The gospel of Jesus Christ is always a clear presentation that it might engage us in an invitation to come into a personal relationship with Jesus. And so this first characteristic of true belief is set forth in a word play that John uses for us. Let me give you the characteristic. True belief denies ignorance for an informed faith. True belief denies ignorance for an informed faith. Now, I don't want you to think that the word ignorance that I'm using there is in any way demeaning. I'm simply using it as a descriptor of a lack of. In other words, a lack of information, a lack of faith, but rather an informed faith. And Jesus uses, or excuse me, John uses the same word for the people's belief as he does for Jesus to entrust himself. And so we had this comparison of what they did Versus what Jesus did. And the first thing we want to go is, well, if they believed in him, why wouldn't he entrust himself to them? Well, we're going to answer that before we're done here today. But I want us to see this comparison. You see, people believed in Jesus because they were enthralled by his miracles, not because they knew him. They were wowed by what they saw he could do. And in other words, they they saw the miracles... But remember what we talked about in the uh, water turning to wine. John doesn't call it a miracle. What does he call it? He calls it a sign. You know what a sign is? A sign is a miracle that has a purpose. And John calls it a sign because Jesus didn't perform a miracle so everyone could be wowed. As a matter of fact, when he turned the water to wine, he walked away before anyone could acknowledge that it was him, except for those who saw it happen. Jesus wasn't interested in wowing the crowds. He was interested in revealing that he is God worthy of all worship. And that's what he shows us. But it tells us that the crowds saw the miracle but did not regard them as a sign pointing to Jesus as the Christ. You see, true belief, friends, anchors in the one that we come to know, Jesus, not just what we can see him do. We can be wowed all day long and not be moved any closer to God because of him. True belief that brings salvation is the knowledge of God. It's not simply a decision about God based on experience or even knowledge. And listen, it doesn't remove either one of those. But it's not only those. You see, following Jesus is not just about making the right decision, though a decision is part of following Jesus. Becoming a real follower of Jesus is about a personal relationship. And let me just kind of try to simplify this to clarify it. A personal relationship is knowing the right truths about Jesus, who is the truth, and trusting in him it's the two of those together and never just apart in other words you can't just know Jesus and fail to put trust in him and believe that that brings salvation and you can't just claim that you believe him but not seek to know him and think that that will satisfy what you're most longing for Jesus's miracles are signs that point to the saving knowledge that he is the Christ sent from God Let let me warn you about this ignorant faith that we need to be denying. And, And again, when I say denying there, I don't mean living in denial of, right? I'm talking about explicitly understanding what it means to have an ignorant faith and going, I don't want to live that way. I want to live with an informed faith. Ignorant faith holds no understanding of Jesus as the Christ of God. We live in a day and time today when people love to talk about being spiritual but not religious. Because they want to define spirituality in their terms. And they've gone to great lengths to do it. This is not new, friends. This was taking place since since humanity came into being. Since Genesis 3 moved forward, this spiritual without religion has always had a form of itself. Because it comes out of the depraved nature of our human nature. And what it says is this so often, I have faith. But friends, to make that statement as though faith is only something that you possess is a meaningless statement. You can have faith in a chair all day long, but if when you sit in it, it hits the floor because the legs didn't hold you, that makes your faith meaningless. You can also say this, I have faith in and fill in the blank, whatever you want to put in it. And your faith is only as valuable and is only as meaningful as whatever you place it in. And so what that tells us is this, that the value of believing is determined by the object in which your faith rests. And that's where he helps us understand why it is that people were believing in Jesus, but where was their faith resting? It was resting in the wow of his miracle instead of the truth of his sign that he was the Christ. And that's why Jesus did not entrust himself, because it was an ignorant faith. It lacked understanding of what was taking place. Ignorance rules every time that it's accepted and allowed to remain. You see, friends, we never have to fear discovering the truth because we worship the one who is truth. But we do have to pursue it. We must pursue it. The only way to deny ignorance is to seek truth. And faith with nothing to take hold of always latches onto and equally values anything in its grasp. And so faith that remains ignorant of Jesus breeds for us a spiritual gullibility and deception. We'll be led astray. You see, Jesus refused to entrust himself because he knows the heart of people. That's what John tells us. He entrusted himself to know man because he knew what was in man. He needs no one to tell him the truth about people because he knows. And you say, well, what does he know that we need to know? Here's what the scriptures tell us in the New Testament. First of all, Matthew 9 tells us that Jesus looked on the crowds and he saw that they were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He didn't just see them for the physical reality of many people en in, in front of him. But rather, he saw the spiritual reality of people that were like sheep that had no shepherd. And do you know what the fact is about sheep without a shepherd? Shepherdless sheep live in an intimate sentence of death by predators. That's why sheep need a shepherd or they will surely be consumed And people fall prey as shepherdless sheep to lesser glories because of our heart and how it deceives. That's what Jesus knew about man. And that 's why Jeremiah seventeen nine tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things he, he 's he's, he's wondering about the Lord here, and he 's kind of uh, 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 pondering the glories of God, but he also sees the, the complete depravity of people in this, and he says this, "The heart of man is desperately sick. who can understand it? But he immediately follows that with The Lord, the Lord, Jesus understood the heart of the people when he saw them as shepherdless sheep, just as Jesus looks upon each of us today and understands our heart even better than we do. Even better than we do for ourselves. There was another thing that we know Jesus knew about the heart of people that follows right along with this, and it's shared in Romans chapter 3. It's simply this, that people are condemned because we have no righteousness of our own. We have no righteousness of our own. The Bible tells us in Romans 3 that there is none that are righteous. No, not one. No one who understands God. No one seeks for God. You see, the seeking after God in and of itself is not something that we conjure up from within, but it is something that God does within us. We have no righteousness of our own. Last week, I talked about Matthew 23 and the list of woes that Jesus levels against the religious leaders when he's condemning religiosity and what it does to people. And I'll kind of uh, just generalize this list to get through it quickly for us. But here's basically what he says is true of religiosity and, might I say, the state of the human heart without God. It's hypocritical, it's cold-hearted, it's a glory hog, it's a fame-seeker, it's power-hungry, it's power-addicted, it's a liar, it's a cheater, it's a manipulator, it's greedy, it's self-centered, it's self-consumed, and it's self-indulgent. And these are the things that represent all that is true of the unrighteous human heart without Jesus. Now, at first, anyone in their right mind, I do believe, would say to that, whoa, I'm not all of those things. But the problem is, We would take the whole list and remove everything we're not. While the one thing that we are was glaring right in front of us. And that's what Jesus knows to be true about us. He knows our heart. That when he doesn't rule in us, any of these things can rule over us. Jesus entrusts himself to people when their belief in him possesses them. True belief knows not only the what of faith, the facts, the truths, but it understands who it is that we've placed our faith in. You see, Christianity begins with a set of true facts about God through Jesus Christ. But it's much more than just information Christians believe in Jesus's true character and nature and and here's what we understand that to be that he is God the son he is equal in glory and in 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 um, uh, deity that he was sent from God and As a man, he lived a perfect life. He laid down his life as an atoning sacrifice. He was raised in glory from the grave to defeat death, hell, and the grave. And he ascended into heaven to rule with the Father. Now, friends, in this list of of doctrinal topics or uh, uh, systematics that we look at here, here's what we see. That if you want to see Jesus for who he is, you move through these. And at some point, it changes from just factual information to truth that is informing the soul not only the mind and so christianity moves beyond fact-based intellect to truth grounded intimacy of relationship because jesus entrust himself to inhabit us. That's what the scriptures teach. True belief arises when the faith you place in Jesus to believe and to receive his life possesses you. Because I believe, and here in a moment we're going to conclude our service today with this song, I believe, and we will begin to sing through the truth that we know to be true of Jesus Christ. But friends, it's not just a stating and a reciting of factual information, but it is a declaring, it is a confessional creed by which we understand that life has been brought into us and the one who is, is in us. And that's what true belief does. It possesses us. True belief means that Christians hold the knowledge of salvation in a personal relationship with God because the one who is God's salvation, Jesus Christ, holds us. Holds us. Here's the knowledge of salvation. My salvation is not because I hold Jesus, but because He holds me. Now let's build on this to the second characteristic. Because here's how we begin to understand and unpack what it is for Jesus to hold us. Secondly, true belief guards against an incomplete faith that demands more or less from God. So it not only denies an ignorant faith, but it guards against an incomplete faith that either demands more or less from God. You see, an incomplete faith always demands something else to finish or complete the job. That's what an incomplete faith does. And it always takes one of two forms. First of all, it's the form of an incomplete faith is the person who is always trying to finish it for God. Their faith is based essentially, it's defined by and it's produced by the good works that they're able to do. In other words, you believe that God loves you because you do good things for him or in his name. And when a person holds an incomplete faith that tries to finish it for God, they believe they are saved because of their good works. I know God loves me because I do this or I did that. I know that God is happy with me or accepts me because of my good works. This position is most represented by the Pharisees in the New Testament. And generally we call this position legalism. Legalism, we believe we are saved because of something we've done. And that term for works, it can be be not only an outward action, but it could even be like an inward thought or the way that we think as well. But the doctrine of legalism is always grounded in a gospel plus theology. In other words, our understanding of God is that a person who's bound up in legalism would say, yes, God saves, and I do this. And in their understanding, whether they articulate it this way or not, in their heart they believe that God loves and accepts them and saves them because their good works are always given to God's work in them. Now, that, that can be very, it needs to be very carefully articulated that the salvation that God brings to us through Jesus is a salvation unto good works, but it's never based on those good works. And that's where legalism can set itself up in the heart so quickly. We see in the New Testament, the rich young man came to Jesus one day and he says, what good deed?" good teacher, must I do to have eternal life? And the way that the question is posed to Jesus says to us that what his inclination was, was that God's work and his work together formed his salvation. That's legalism, friends. Legalism usually traps people with right desires, but wrong motives. That's why it's so deceptive. That's why it's so damaging because people have a right desire but live out of a wrong motive. Ironically, the person that's caught in legalism experiences regular disappointment and frustration with God. Now hear me because this is where you may find yourself today in an incomplete faith. You have regular disappointment, frustration with God because God never seems to respond or to reward your work in the way you want him to or that you believe he should. And that's what consumes your prayers. God, you know what I did and we all know what you did. And there's something behind that that says to us and we all know what you did isn't equal to what I did. And that's the wrong motive that's driving. Legalism always looks for one more thing to do for God as a strategy for ignoring the one thing that God requires. True belief. True belief. Legalism is a continual dismissal and denial that God's love is enough to save. And I can't add anything to it that would bring greater glory or value for it. Now there's a second form of incomplete faith. And the second form is a person that's always looking to make faith easier. Faith gets reduced to a quick fix because it's always focused in the moment. And these people claim to believe when they saw the miracle, but they missed the part where the miracle was not just for the moment, but it pointed to something greater. The Sadducees in the New Testament represent best this position they deny the afterlife and they, uh, they denied other hard teachings because they were just too much for people to really believe in. It was too hard for people to attain to. And the Sadducees handled the word of God by being glad to edit out anything that was too hard or just simply inconvenient in the scriptures. In other words, instead of trying to work their way to God, they just leveraged God down to them. And generally, we call this position today theological liberalism. And the doctrine of liberalism is always grounded in a gospel minus theology of God. A gospel minus understanding of God and His Word. You see, God provides salvation... But listen, all that stuff he talks about in his word, you know, it's important. But God loves people too much to really hold them to that. He would never deny anyone of that. And so what happens is God evolves with us as we evolve. And really becomes a little more than what we are. You see, liberalism is when people hold love And others as the highest value but their understanding of love is not defined purely by the scripture and so they use God more to please people than they do using the scriptures to lead people to God it usually traps people who have a genuine love for others and listen friends the Bible calls us to love right we've been loved hint You can look at the walls and know we believe in love. But what theological liberalism does is it believes that God will cheat his righteousness in order to save people. Oh, God didn't really mean that. He's not going to hold you to that. He doesn't want that. The problem is they have to deny what God's already done in Jesus every time, and that's what they're glad to do to make people feel better about where they are. An incomplete faith represents those who believe God's salvation is simply incomplete. Many hold to Jesus as long as they can behold his work or as long as they can stomach it, so to speak. It doesn't get too hard. But when faith gets hard, they have to evolve God in order to accommodate Belief. And you see, Christianity guards against holding an incomplete faith that demands that we add to or take anything away from God and His true character and His nature. And so, this is the second characteristic we see. True belief guards against an incomplete faith that demands more or less from God. Now, here's the reality. The first two characteristics of true belief are not only true of a few, friends. And this is what I need you to understand. It's what I believe John is saying to us today. It's not just true of a few. So if you're here today and went, whoo, I missed that one. Everything's good, right? Don't think you've missed it yet. We haven't finished the sermon quite yet. But these are all forms of false belief that every one of us must learn to recognize and to confront in our own heart and in our own mind because listen friends we every one of us this is what Jesus knew about the heart of humanity we are not only bent towards self-destruction because of our sinful nature but we are also inclined to prefer self-salvation for the same reason left unto ourselves it's self-destruct mode. Left unto ourselves, watch what I can do for you, God. That's what Jesus knew to be true of the human heart. And where we see these false forms of belief in our heart, we must repent and turn to Jesus. And in a moment, in contrast to these first two characteristics, I'm going to point out the last two characteristics to equip for true belief. But let me... Let me give just somewhat of a qualifier today to say this. Friends, my point today is not to convince you or to satisfy you in some way that makes you say, I'm okay with God, I don't have to worry about this, or I could never be okay with God, there's no hope for me. I don't want to point to you today if if you believe you're a Christian and cause you to some way doubt And if you're not a Christian, to disbelieve that God could love you. But what I am saying is this, that there is never a moment in our lives in following Jesus when we should continually let the Spirit of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ purge our hearts from our own natural inclination to look away from Jesus and towards something else for our own salvation. And so I'm pressing upon all of us today To not dismiss these, well, I've become a Christian. He's talking to people who haven't become a Christian yet. Listen, friends, Christianity is not simply a threshold that we step over in a singular decision. Christianity is a journey of following Jesus. We see this throughout the New Testament. If Christianity was a threshold, man, Peter and John and every disciple and follower of Jesus in the New Testament were engaged in not just a ping pong match, but like a racquetball match. They were getting beat all around, right? But what made the difference between their heart remaining true to Jesus and faithful in following Him and those who we will see in chapter 6 and verse 66, that when Jesus taught hard things, they walked away and no longer believed in Him. They were no longer His disciples. And what is the difference? Who in the room today will walk away when Jesus and His commands and the demands of life get hard? That's what I'm trying to clarify for us. And as we see where the inkling of our heart is weak because our faith is faltering, what can we do? What must happen in order to believe that Jesus would be all the sweeter and all the more powerful to us in our lives? So where we see false forms of belief in our heart, we must repent and turn to Jesus. True belief continually purges doubt and unbelief to a refined faith that possesses us. There's no one in the room or shall be in any room called a Christian church today that has the perfect faith that would be absent of this passage. We need the refining fire of God's salvation in Jesus. Understanding true belief begins with Jesus' character and nature as the Christ of God. This is what Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, but we preach Christ crucified. The Jews demand a sign, the Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, because Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. And so the gospel turns us from an ignorant faith and the gospel turns us from an incomplete salvation and it always leads us to Jesus who is the Christ of God. Christ crucified is the power and the wisdom of God that points us to salvation in Jesus. And that's where we want to look and turn our attention with the third characteristic because true belief strives toward a growing and maturing faith at all times. As you hear these characteristics, ask yourself, which ones greater define and describe what goes on in my life? am I satisfied with an ignorant faith and an incomplete salvation and what religiosity demands of me that I must continue to do or am I striving towards a growing and a maturing faith in the Lord Jesus Christ because that's what true belief does it strives towards a growing and a maturing faith at all times not that the striving is where the salvation comes but in that salvation to greater immerse one's life into the one who has saved him. friends those who only watch for the wow factor in jesus will never believe because of a sign that's what jesus tells people throughout the new testament you demand a sign from me but if you were going to believe because you saw a sign you would have already believed because jonah who came hundreds of years before has already given a sign enough for you but you don't believe because you don't look at a sign to be moved to worship you look at a sign to be moved to wow And instead of being enriched with Jesus, we'd rather be entertained with the thrill of excitement rather than the faith to believe. But for those who believe, friends, every sign points to Christ for greater glory. That's why when we sit down to a simple meal, right, that we all take for granted. And we can give thanks for the food as being directly delivered from God's hands. Why? Because we are bringing glory to God in the simplest way and the most complex matters of life to make sure that we steal no glory from him nor cheat any righteousness of him. As long as you look to Jesus for the wow, more than for worship, your faith will always remain weak and wilted and always at the times when it's most needed. For true belief that grows and matures, strives to make sure that all things in life flow from Jesus. When you compare the people who follow Jesus in the New Testament and who remain faithful to him, one real distinction emerges. The difference between real and false followers of Jesus is that the real followers continue to follow that continued to apply the gospel for the forgiveness and cleansing of sin and to put their trust in Jesus and to walk by faith and obedience. That, that's the difference, friends. It, it's not a difference of what we make at all. There were good people and there were bad people. The good people followed Jesus. The bad people, well, they didn't because they're bad people. I just want to be a good person. Be a good person and you'll follow Jesus. Friends, that is a lie from the pit of hell good people don't go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. Saved people spend eternity with God through Jesus Christ. True belief means that Jesus entrusts himself to us. And as we come into that personal relationship with Jesus by faith, because we've believed, we've received his eternal life, and as we receive his life, that just simply means he inhabits us. He takes up residency within us. The difference that we see in, Christ, uh, in the scriptures between those that remain to follow him is that they didn't take offense when they rebuked him. Why? Because they knew his love for them. That they, they didn't get their feelings hurt because his teachings were hard. They knew that he was shooting straight with them because he loved them. Because he loved them. They didn't question his motives when he commanded things they didn't like. Why? Because they knew him. They knew him. And listen, when you don't know someone and they tell you something you don't like or or that you can cast speculation on, you'll do it in a heartbeat. Well, I don't know if they're... But why do we not? Because when you know him, you receive what he says to you. And when his teaching got really hard and called for greater sacrifice and surrender, they didn't run away, they obeyed. You see, God's promise in his Messiah is greater than any problem, any disappointment, any offense or persecution that confronts or challenges us in this world. And that promise is made full in Jesus because he is the Christ. Christians persevere in Jesus because he entrusts himself to them when they are possessed by a true belief. A growing and mature faith worships Jesus as our true reward. You talk to anyone who's been a Christian uh, all their life and, and uh, who's a mature Christ follower. And typically, I'm thinking of, of those who are older in, in years here. Okay, I'm trying to be nice because there's a lot of people in the room over 40. And they won't tell you that the sweetness of following Jesus and the real value of it is because of everything he gave to them. But when you get down to it, the real beauty and glory... And savoring goodness of following Jesus is because there's never a moment he wasn't there. Never a moment he's not faithful. And that's what matters in following Jesus. Those are people who are following him in true belief because they're knowing him true belief rests in the person of Jesus as the Christ and the only source of life a growing and a maturing faith into true belief presses more and more into Jesus Proverbs 3 5 says trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding that word for trusting and leaning are directional terms here it is friends life knocks you off of center how many times every day right and the point of the matter that Proverbs is making to us is simply this. You will either intentionally press into Jesus. That's what the word trust in the Lord means. It means to push with all you got. Press into Jesus or you will lean on yourself. And a growing and maturing faith, when you get knocked off center, is learning. You've got to push it back into Jesus you got to take it back into him through the gospel. When your faith is failing, it's always because you're leaning on something that cannot hold you, friend. A growing and maturing faith continually applies the gospel for increasing joy. You see, Jesus provides overflowing joy in the mundane of every day as much as at any other time. But so often we miss it in the mundane because we think, I got this, I got this. But when we got it, we don't get what we most want in life. And that's the joy that only Jesus can bring. And so we must give him the simple as well as the demanding. And even when the crisis arises and one's prepared for the demanding moments, because we've been with Jesus in the daily moments, we understand he's faithful then as well. For the one who has found Jesus faithful in the ordinary will rest in him when troubles get extraordinary. A growing and mature faith never forgets That the evil one does, in fact, seek us out like a roaring lion. That there's never a moment of your life that Satan doesn't want to attack you and consume you. And so true belief spurs a growing and a maturing faith that continually moves towards a deeper communion with God and dependency upon the Lord Jesus Christ through obedience. I know that when I walk with him it's because he is not only with me he is he's in me leading me and guiding me the fourth characteristic is this true belief depends upon the continual faithful witness that exalts jesus you see friends an ignorant faith and an incomplete salvation will always war against us to pull us away from god But a true belief that is growing and maturing doesn't mean you've perfected your performance. It just remembers that you run back to the one who performed perfectly for you. And the reason that is so important, we find in kind of a a play on phrases in this passage. Because John says Jesus didn't entrust himself to those because he didn't need a witness about the heart of man but in those words, we understand that man needs a continual witness about the heart of God. We will be led. to uh, to unbelief because we will believe something about God that's not true and so the fourth characteristic is that true belief depends upon the continual faithful witness that exalts Jesus Jesus didn't need any help about knowing about people but we need continual help about remembering the truth of Jesus Jesus They needed it when they saw the miracle because they were totally distracted. They needed it then. But there's not a moment in your life when you don't need the continual, growing, regular, clear testimony that Jesus is the Christ. So you can turn your faith to him and not place it in something else. We need the gospel daily. We need it regularly. We need it clearly. And we need it faithfully in order to remember that Jesus is Lord and believe in him. Some of you want to fly solo. You want to float alone. And you want to show God how much you can do for Him. But God never designed the Christian life to be a lone ranger experiment. God brings the witnesses of all eternity to bear. To remind us of the good news of Jesus Christ. He ordained faithful witnesses. I'm gonna run through three before I quit before I stop here. But but the first is this: just the regular hearing, uh, the regular meditation, and the study of his word. The word of God is our first witness, friends, because it is Jesus that is living in us. And when his word is in us, the spirit of him who lives within us illumines that word to remind us that he is faithful. He is faithful in all things. The fellowship of his saints is the second witness that I would remind you of today. Because Ephesians 4.15 tells us that speaking the truth in love, a phrase that simply means the gospel, And if we will surround our life with the fellowship of saints, the local church, if we will put our life and invest our life into a local church, we will bring around us a band of witnesses to remind us and to help us point back to Jesus so that we can't be distracted or we can't be deceived. And finally, a faithful witness. Did you know that when you share a faithful witness about Jesus, about who He is and about what He's done in your life and and all the things of, of a faithful testimony, it's not just an encouragement for somebody else, it's an encouragement for you. And so He commands us to be a faithful witness. Why? Because true belief, true belief depends upon the continual faithful witness that exalts Jesus in our heart to believe in Him because we are so prone to self-salvation. Jesus entrusts Himself to those who truly believe in Him as the Christ from God.